Thank you for praying with me. Thank you for worshiping. That was beautiful. My name is Clayton, and uh, it is my honor to be here with you today. Uh, my first task this morning um, is uh, um, I want you to know how much I like Christmas first. Uh, I was the kid growing up that got sick on Christmas morning because I was so excited for Christmas morning to come. So I was a kid who threw up on Christmas morning because I just wanted it to come. I couldn't sleep the whole week. That was me. I love Christmas. If I could live by Christmas lights for the month of December, maybe November, I know it's against the rules, I probably would. If you came in my basement right now, you'd see mom decorates the upstairs, dad and the girls get the downstairs, and our ceiling is full of colorful Christmas lights. I would live by Christmas light. I have this idea, that it's really more of a dream that would require some people, so think about it. I used to live in Chicago, and uh, my, one of my favorite Christmas movies is Elf. No, Buddy the Elf. Come, come on. So I would need a group of my closest friends to decide to go down to the Magnificent Mile with me in Chicago and start out about Macy's and be all dressed as Buddy the Elf. I thought it'd be fun to take a group of people and try to get everybody to march north on the avenue, on the mile, as far as we can, to do what, you'd ask? To go to the children's hospital. Why would we go there? We would sing Christmas carols. Why? Because our king has come, and Buddy would say, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loud for all to hear. That's what I think about. I love Christmas. Like, I really, really do. But the more life I have lived, I have another sense at Christmas time. There's joy. Light has come into darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Right? It's true. But I've experienced some loss in life. And the loss, I know it all year. But right now, it's obvious, it is in my face. So there's this idea of blue Christmas. It's a song, I think Elvis Presley sings it, some other people. But the idea is that uh, this is the most wonderful time of the year, because Jesus came. But it's also not very wonderful for a lot of people, because it's hard. So blue Christmas actually takes place on the winter solstice, which is the shortest day of the year full of the most darkness. And what it is, is it's a day where you gather with people to recognize, to remember, to assess your loss in light of the joy of the season. So we've invited over 200 families from our church family today. We probably missed some people who have lost people the last two years. So the memories and the joy of Christmas is different when the people you love are not there. Loss. We've been talking about it for weeks now, for months. The hevel, the unmanageable, uncontrollable life that we live. But loss is not confined just to persons. We all experience loss. Loss of hopes loss of dreams. Every January we have new dreams and new hopes, right? A new plan for the year. What if that didn't happen this year? What if you lost a job? What if you lost a relationship, a marriage, estranged from a son or a daughter, loss of friend? You come to this time of year and those losses are obvious and it's hard. So that's what we're going to talk about today. There is this joy. I, in me, I feel, I feel a tension. I feel like I'm, I'm, 
that I love this time of year. And it's so hard. There's joy and sorrow. And I feel like somehow we have to live in the middle. Because right, we talk about this, our, our sorrows move us towards eternity, to joy, but we still have to deal with the sorrows. So the passage that Paul talks about, and he says that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The word comfort is the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit. It means that God wants to come alongside you. Not remove us from, but come alongside in. And my hope for this morning is that we, together, as a group, would bring our losses before him. Because we have a gift for you today. Every person who comes to church today gets this candle. They're right outside the doors. Surrounded by darkness, we have a great light. So we can bring our losses to the light. And I think that's a really good thing. Because we're going to read in the passage today. We have a whole bunch of people in this inspired book, this inspired words of God that he wants us to have who had to live in the tension. So that's what we're going to be exploring today. And I want to say also, um, I come to serve with a lot of humility because I don't know your pain. And you don't know mine. But I know who does. So I've actually woken up several times this week thinking I have no idea what I'm going to talk about because I don't know what to talk about. But I know who does. So I hope this morning as we bring all of these things up and lay them at Jesus' feet that you feel comforted. I have a sense that he, somehow, he's going to do something in the room today that he will come alongside people in deep, deep sorrow and grief and he will comfort you in a way that you can feel and, and know and, and remember that he is with you because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So today, the, the title for today is The Gift of Christmas. Right? In my notes, I have a question mark by that. The Gift of Christmas. That was the title for today. Um, because, you know, a gift, I think we have a slide for it, is undeserved, it's unwarranted. And I've been thinking, if you think that you deserve the gift, it's hardly a gift. And I've noticed that it's a problem for me, maybe it's a problem for you. I think I deserve a lot of things. If I think I deserve something, I don't really get a lot of joy out of it because I, it's, I deserved it. I hear it all the time now. You should do that. You deserve it. You should go there. You deserve it. You should have that. You deserve it. Well, I know myself, and I don't deserve a whole lot of things. So it's a bit of a trouble. It's a bad mindset for me. The gift is just given for free. So we're talking about the gift of Christmas. And as Christians, we would say, who is the gift of Christmas? Jesus. He's the gift of Christmas. But my wondering for myself and for you today is, how valuable do I think that gift is? Is it valuable? Or do I think I kind of deserve it? See, my, uh, uh, my understanding of gifts has been changing over time. So, like, I got this, this Bible from my dad when I was 19, graduating high school. And I thought, Dad, thanks, this is great. Like, I, I mean, it's a good gift. He has really straight lines. He marked it up for me. Like, it's really good. You can see where I wrote and where he wrote. That's good, Dad. Thank you. Over time, though, because of life, I 
started to use this thing more and more and more. And the words have gotten more and more important to me. And when the underline got more and more important to me, I gotta fix this thing now. My idea of what a gift is is changing. I'm being transformed. I even think about some of the things. So I had this thought, I was thinking about gifts that I've gotten that I love the most. So you're thinking about things you got. And uh, um, I realized that my greatest gifts on this side of heaven, outside of Jesus, is my girls. It's my wife and my little ladies. So now when I get gifts, I, I'm oftentimes thinking about them, about what do I want as a gift. So a couple years ago, I got a trampoline. 35-year-old man got a trampoline for his birthday. Why did you get a trampoline for your birthday? So you can jump with your girls. Because it's a gift for me, it's a gift for them, and it is fun. Like, they are my gifts. Uh, about a year later, um, I asked for uh, some speakers in our house. Why? Because my family loves music. We love to worship, we love to dance, and love to sing. My gifts love those gifts, so I love them too. So my idea of what a gift is is changing. And so my sentence for today, I actually got this from Josiah, and he's down the hall today. He's just a wise man. So watch him today, or this week if you can, on YouTube. The sentence is this. A gift's value is dependent on perception, my perception and time. Do I perceive it as a gift or not? Jesus is the gift of Christmas. Do I think that he's a gift? Do I deserve something of him? And then over time, because like, it's like this, I'm just a good gift, but it's become a great gift over time. So as I was getting ready for today, I, I wanted to uh, assign a passage. Uh, it's about Mary. It's in the middle of, of Luke 1. But I was reading Luke 1 and Luke 2, and uh, um, I started noticing in the whole story, so we're talking today about things we have lost and bringing those things to the feet of Jesus, into the light. Every person that I read about in Luke 1 and 2 lost. Actually, I was going to call this message unfulfilled gifts because I was seeing, I felt like their gift, the things they hoped for, longed for, were unfulfilled for almost their whole life. And then Josiah's sentence, though. But what I saw in them was even when things seemed unfulfilled, they were faithful. And I was struck by that. So I want to introduce you to a couple people, four different people, really quickly. And then we'll talk about Mary. Um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. We'll find them in Luke 1. And you can actually read this this week, Luke 1 and 2. Just kind of get in there. I'm not going to read it all right now. I'm just going to tell you their stories. But Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's the first two people. It's a married couple. And they are, they were... Um, Zechariah was a priest. They were both from the line of Aaron. So they were Levites. They were priests all the way through. So for generations, generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, they were a faithful people. They served the Lord over and over and over again. It says in here they were upright. They were good people. They had always observed the laws. They had done the right things. They had, they had given their lives to him. But it says here that they, they, there's something they wished they had. They wished they had a family. They couldn't have a family. So Zechariah's name means God has remembered. Somebody who has served faithfully his whole entire life. My name means God has remembered. God, have you forgotten me? Where are you? And Elizabeth, she talks about how she lived a life of disgrace. The people have disgraced her for her whole life. They lived a lifetime where they dealt with, they have a God they love and they serve and there's joy in him. But 
I don't understand. Why? Live in the tension. There's two other people in the story. Their names were Anna and Simeon. They were prophets. Start with Anna. She got married, you know, in that day you get married, you're 13 or 14. She had a husband for seven years, and then her husband passed away. And she lived the next 84, I believe, by herself. But it says what she would do is she just, whenever the temple was open, she was there. That's what she would do. Just imagine, I cannot imagine a life like that. How do you remain faithful? There's Simeon. Simeon asked for one thing. I just want to meet the Messiah. That's all I want. Of all things you'd ask for, what I'd ask for, he's, I just want to meet the Messiah. And God, he thinks God says, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. But he has to wait. And then 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 he has to wait. He waits he's well on in his years. So I want to take those four stories because they're unresolved. I'm going to put them on a shelf. We'll leave them there for a minute, okay? Think of those four. Perhaps you feel like their stories are different than ours. Maybe you see some of your own story in theirs. Maybe what they struggle with, what they long for, you long for. How do we remain faithful like them? So let's talk about Mary for a minute. Because what I see in those people was a faith that would require trust. And to trust someone other than yourself requires humility, which means placing someone above yourself. So this life is more than we can bear. Do you trust the one who can bear it? So you have Mary. And in the passage, she has a song. And in the song, there's a line. I think it's, I think we have a slide for it. Nope. Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't. Okay. It says, uh, my soul praises the Lord. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. So I would keep that in the front of your mind. So how about Mary? She knows of her humility. And one of the things I found about myself with Mary is I kind of strip away her humanity when I read about her, when I think about her. She is an incredible, she's a staggeringly incredible person. So right before our passage today, uh, she has an encounter with an angel. She's 13 or 14. And an angel says, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, right? We've all heard that story. But I want to focus on what happens next. Uh, it's Luke 1, 39 through 45. They're starting 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. The message version said Mary didn't waste a minute and she hurried. She has an encounter with an angel who says, you're going to be pregnant with the Messiah. What's the first thing she does? She drops everything and she runs to somebody. Who does she run to? Her name was Elizabeth. She's a person who had lived a whole life of disgrace, of things being said about her that were untrue. Makes me wonder about what kind of person Elizabeth was in the midst of all those things. She must have been remarkable. And faithful. If Mary thought, my whole life is about to change. I can't even tell my pretty much husband right now. I'm not even going to tell him. No one would actually believe me. Her hopes and plans for the future are going to be, they're all different. How she thought things were going to go, it's not going to go that way anymore. She, I mean, I thought about this. So she never, did anyone ever know what happened? 
We do, but did anyone else? Because later on in the Gospels, Jesus' own family, his brothers and sisters, thinks he's a crazy person. Who is this Jesus? Who does he think he is? So Mary is going to have the Messiah, and she can't tell anyone about it because no one's going to believe her. So she's living, moving into a life of absolute uncertainty. She has no idea how it's going to go. What's the first thing she does? She runs and finds somebody who's lived through it so well and so graciously because she might understand. She's lived with this grace her whole life, and that's going to become my life. I get Jesus. She gets Jesus. She has the joy of Jesus. But she also has to deal with the uncertainty of the future. She has to deal with the sorrow of the future, the hard parts of the future. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. I read that, and I've read that a lot. How good is God? How kind is God? She's confronted with this thing that's going to change her whole life. She does not know how anyone's going to respond. God did not change anything, because what's going to come is going to end up being a good thing. But he meets her right there with a confirmation from a different person. He assures her of, her pres of his presence. In the dark, there he is. So we're talking today about this blue Christmas. It's this tension of joy and sorrow. And the Lord, in Mary's story, meets her right there. I have found in my life that, uh, I don't know, in my moments of deepest despair, my moments of deepest sadness, that is where he is. And I don't think I'm a whole lot of fun in those moments. But I like being there. I like just sitting in my sadness sometimes. Because there the Lord is. Seems to be to me in my saddest moments, my hardest moments, there he is. I saw that. I said, how good is God that he would meet her there in a person that, a different person who was not there. For those who have walked through deep sadness, maybe think in your mind, when has that happened to you? When has somebody met you there? And that was God. I said, here I am. Because, you know, so Mary is, she's most blessed among women because she has Jesus. But she's most blessed, I mean, I'm reading the story, to suffer poverty and pain. So later on, she goes to bring Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, consecrated, and they offer two doves, which means you're poor. Shouldn't the mother and father of Jesus, king of the, the king of the world, get something good? Shouldn't there be a better life for taking that on, living with all that? And then Simeon, that prophet I talked about, who met her at the temple to see the Messiah, he prophesies. Listen to what he says to her. 
This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And he'll be a sign that is spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So the, the thought of Messiah is that he's going to come save the Jews. Like, well, actually, he's coming to save everybody. It's different than what you think. And Mary, as a mom, I mean, I've watched, I've watched my own mother. I've gone to NBA basketball games when people have said really mean things to my brothers or to me, and I watch my mom, and she gets really mad at them. <laughs> he said people are going to say awful things about him, but they're true. He's going to reveal their hearts. And he says, and Mary, guess what? A sword will pierce your own soul, too. So at the beginning of Jesus' life, the prophecy is the joy of Jesus, the Messiah you've been waiting for, but this is going to be super hard. Mary, can you live in the tension? Can you live in the middle? So I think I've had a wrong idea of what the word blessed means. Blessed are you among women. So to be blessed, the resident of the Tim Keller book, means essentially that when you are blessed, when God blesses you, he's going to make you all he created you to be. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to repair all of your capacities, all the things that are broken, all the things that aren't as they should be. When he blesses you, he's going to remake you into who he needs you to be, who you were meant to be. If Mary can believe Jesus is who he is, if she can believe the word that God has spoken to her, she will become blessed. That's what Elizabeth says. Mary was about to be transformed by Jesus for a lifetime. Let's take those other four characters back off the shelf. Zechariah, Elizabeth, Simeon, and Anna. How, how were they faithful? They believed in a God who transformed them over life. That's what Jesus does. That's why we bring our losses that's why we bring our despair into the light. He wants to bless us. I think he wants to bless you. I think he wants to come alongside you and strengthen you and repair you and give you all the things you need to become who he actually wants you to be. Because I think that God hates suffering and evil, things we have to experience. I don't think that's how he made it. I don't think it's how he wanted it to be. I read this great quote from a lady named Dorothy Sayers. This is the kind of God that we believe in. For whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, us, limited in suffering and subject to sorrow and death. He, that's God, had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine Whatever game he's playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and he has played fair. He can exact nothing from us that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience. From the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace. And he thought it was worthwhile 
for you. And for you. And for me. What a God. He is the Father of all mercies. He is the God of all comfort. He wants to come alongside us in this life to utterly transform us in the midst of all of these things. Look at those people on the story. All the things they had to live through and with. He was transforming them. I just can't get over Elizabeth. Her life of disgrace. She did it. She lived in such a way that when a person knew that my life would be like yours, the person ran to her. Literally dropped everything to go find her. Because she knew that she would understand. She wouldn't fix, but she would come alongside her. That's what the Lord wants to do. So Mary was transformed by Jesus. So I was thinking about Mary. Right? Let's look, at all, let's look at all of Mary. So she begins knowing these things about Jesus. Knowing these things about what's to come. I thought about the end of his life. Jesus on a cross. Because he came. He thought we were worthwhile. On the cross. He knows his mom. He looks at his mom and says, Mom, his best buddy John's next to her. He said, you be his mom now. He needs you. He says, John, this has got to be your mom. Why? John was called the son of thunder. Can they assume what that means about him, right? Who does he become? The disciple of love. He talks about love, which we say is willing the good of another, placing people in front of himself. He talks about love more than anyone else. 57 times in his gospel, more than all the other three. Mary, through the crucible of life, is transformed. She is blessed. She becomes who she is meant to be, which is a place of, she began with it, Humility, elevating others above herself, putting the Lord above herself. So, um, so I'm th- I know we're talking to a large room, lots of different people, and uh, uh, some of us maybe I feel like our losses in life are not that big yet. They're not that. Um, I don't know, some, some hard stuff. You lost some games, things like that, right? Well, I'll just say this for today. If that's you, if it's like this is just over my head, um, I have an idea. So we've been talking about, there's a table straight out the back right there, and we left it there for a reason. We're still talking about Sabbath. We're still talking about gathering around the table. I thought as families, what if at our Sabbath meals, we were uh, an Elizabeth or a Mary, and we invited people to our tables who have lost. And we were just present with them. But then we asked them questions. How do you walk through this? Maybe they can share some things with us so as we move forward in life, because we will all experience loss. Someone once told me that life is like a river. And in the river, there's always flood seasons. And when the floods come, 
if you haven't built, your, built up your banks, the flood will spill the banks and it will destroy your whole life. But if you have reinforced the banks, the rivers goes deeper and we can be faithful. So what if that was what we did this month? We thought of someone who is experiencing loss. We said, would you just have, can we make you a meal? And then could you just tell me about it? Can I pray for you? Can we just be with you? We see you. We know this time of year is hard. And then to those who will be asked to come to the meal, who are living through it, would you, be, would you share? Would you be honest and be a little vulnerable? Because the people who are listening, they need to hear what you have to say. So I want to conclude with a, a psalm that we all know. In Psalm 23. So you invite the band up. And the reason I chose this psalm is because what I'm asking you to do is what someone did for me. So I said, this, is a, this has become a gift and the value keeps increasing. What was the sentence? The, the gift's values determine my perception and time. So over time, my perception of how important these words are has changed. In a time of deep sadness, Psalm 23 was given as a gift to me and I think to many of us to be written on our hearts. So I just want to read it. And I want to light a candle. I want to read it once. And then uh, would you say it with me a second time? Perhaps this is a practice for you as your homes. In darkness, we have such light. In fact, would you, would you close your eyes? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And if you know it, just keep your eyes closed. And let's just say this together. As, as a body who believes, who trusts in a good God, I'll start. 
the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord 